are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, I invite you to head on over to Venmo, and there you can send a tip to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 336. We are reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 7, Paragraphs 505 to 518. Chapter 7. The Most Holy Mary ends the battle with the demons, gloriously triumphing over them, as is described by St. John in the 12th chapter of the Apocalypse. 505. In order to understand better the mysteries to be described in this chapter, it is necessary to presuppose what I have written in the 8th, ninth, and 10th chapter of the first book of the first part, where I explained the 12th chapter of the Apocalypse, insofar as it was made known to me at that time. Not only there, but during the whole course of this heavenly history, have I referred to the present chapters of this third part for a description of the battles of the Most Holy Mary with Lucifer and the demons, the triumphs she gained and the state in which she was left by the Almighty. After these battles, for the rest of her earthly life, of all these sacred mysteries, the evangelist St. John had a knowledge, and he describes them in his Apocalypse, as I have stated at other times, especially in the 12th and 21st chapters. On these two chapters, I must discourse in this history for two reasons. 506. First, the secrets contained in them are so exalted and magnificent that they can never be adequately explained or manifested, especially as the evangelist, considering it as the sacrament of the king and queen, has enveloped them in such enigmatical and metaphorical language, as can be interpreted only through divine revelation, when and how the Lord shall please. And in this, the evangelist followed the express commands of the Most Holy Mary. Secondly, the proud rebellion of Lucifer, although in general opposing the supreme will and orders of the Most High and Omnipotent God, was especially directed against Christ our Lord and his mother, to whose superiority and excellence the apostate angels do not wish to subject themselves. Also, the first rebellion and war waged with St. Michael in heaven was in protest against their authority. But at that time they could not war with the Incarnate Word and with His Virgin Mother in person, but only against the mysterious sign or representation of that mysterious woman, which they saw placed in the heavens as a prophetic symbol of all the mysteries of the Incarnation to be enacted in her womb. When the time came for the execution of all these sacraments and for the Incarnation of the Word in her womb, it was proper that this battle of the demons should be renewed 
and that Christ and Mary should triumph over them in person. For this, the Lord, as well in heaven as afterwards in paradise, had threatened them with this enmity between the woman and the serpent, and between the seed of the woman and the serpent, in order that she might crush his head. 507. All this was fulfilled in the letter in Christ and in Mary, for of our great high priest and Savior, St. Paul says that he was tempted in all things like we ourselves and for our example, but without sin. And the same can be said of the Most Holy Mary. Lucifer had permission to tempt them after his fall from heaven, as I have said in the tenth chapter of the first part. And because this battle with the Most Holy Mary was to be a counterpart of the first one in heaven, and was to be for the demons the fulfillment of the threat and menace contained in her image, it was described and enveloped in the same enigmatical words. Having sufficiently explained about the first battle, I must now speak of what happened in the second. Although Lucifer and his demons had already been punished in their first rebellion by the eternal loss of the beatific vision and hurled into hell, they were now punished anew in the second battle by additional accidental torments corresponding to their evil desires and attempts against the most blessed Mary. The explanation thereof is the natural faculties of a creature draw satisfaction and contentment from their attaining what they strive after, and this is in proportion to the vehemence with which they have striven. And on the other hand, pain and disappointment in not attaining their object or in experiencing opposite results. Now the demons, since their fall, had desired nothing more vehemently than to see that one fall from grace, who was to be the medium of grace for the children of Adam. Hence it was an inconceivable torment for the infernal dragons to find themselves vanquished and foiled in the desperate desires and hopes entertained by them for so many ages. 508. The Heavenly Mother, on the other hand, on the account of the same and many other reasons in the overthrow of the ancient serpent, gained a most joyful triumph. For the conclusion of this battle, moreover, and for the state with which she was then to enjoy during the rest of her life, her divine Son held in readiness so many and such great blessings as surpass all human and angelic capacity. In order to say something of what I have been made to understand, the reader must remember that, on account of our limited powers and capacity, we are constrained to use the most exalted mysteries, the same terms and words as we use for the more ordinary ones. Yet, in what I am to speak of now, where there is infinite latitude and extent of mystery, within which the Almighty can raise the creature from one state, which seems to us the highest, to one more exalted, and from this again to a higher and more excellent state. For such a creature as Mary, after being destined and confirmed in this world of graces, gifts, and favors, and after reaching, as she really did, all that is not God's essence, must at last embrace within itself a vastness of excellence, so great that, of its own self, it constitutes a new hierarchy, greater and more exalted than all the rest of the creatures, angelic and human. 509. Having premised all this, I will proceed to tell all, as well as I can, what happened to Lucifer, until his final overthrow through the Most Holy Mary and her Son, our Savior. The dragon and his demons were not yet entirely subdued by the triumphs related in the last chapter, when they were hurled down by the upper air into the abyss, by the Great Lady, nor by their ill success, which the sorceress in Jerusalem. But fearing in his malice that he should have little time left for his temptations and persecutions, the enemy in his implacable malice wished to make up for the shortness of time by an increase of fury and temerity. 
Hence he sought out other men who, having been especially instructed by him in magic and witchcraft, were still greater sorcerers. To these, Lucifer gave special and minute directions how to take away the life of her, whom they held as their enemy. These ministers of evil attempted to fulfill their commission many times, making use of very powerful and pernicious charms. But none of them could in any way harm either the life or the health of the Most Blessed Mary. For the effects of sin exerted no influence over her, who was sinless, and who, moreover, for other reasons, was exempt and superior to all natural causes. Seeing this, and finding his most deeply laid plans frustrated, the dragon visited those sorcerers with fierce and cruel punishments. For the Lord permitted this, because they had merited chastisement for their temerity, and in order that they might know what kind of master they served. 5.10. Full of this new fury, Lucifer convened all the princes of darkness, and reminded them of the many reasons they had since their fall from heaven, for their straining all their forces and their whole malice in order to cast down this woman, their enemy, since they now clearly recognize in her the one shown to them at that time. They all agreed with him and resolved to unite and assault her alone, presuming that on some occasion or another they would find her less prepared and bereft of her defense. Mary, being alone in her oratory, they at once seized the opportunity, and emptying hell for this enterprise, they advanced upon her in united multitudes. This battle was the greatest ever fought by a mere creature, from the first one in the Empyrean heaven to the end of the world, and it was very much like that first one. In order to estimate the fury of Lucifer and his demons in coming to where the most blessed Mary then was, one must consider their torments as well in perceiving the divine power emanating from her as in remembering how often they had been oppressed and vanquished by her. By their wrath and envy conquered even these torments and drove them, in spite of their pains, to throw themselves, as it were, upon the bristling pikes and swords to avenge themselves upon the heavenly lady. For not to make such an attempt was a greater torment than any other. 5.11 The first assault of the demons was directed principally upon the exterior sense of Mary, consisting in terrific howlings and confused clamors. Arraying their hosts in the air, they produced such a fearful noise and trembling that the machinery of the whole world seemed on the point of destruction. To make all this appear more real, they assumed diverse visible shapes, some of horrid and different kinds of demons, other of angels of light. In these shapes, they pretended to begin a darksome and formidable contest or battle, seemingly without cause and so that only they confused and terrible noise could be heard. Thus, they sought to produce fear or disturbance in the soul of the Most Blessed Lady, and truly they would have excited terror in any other, even the Most Holy Creature, if left to the ordinary sources of the grace, and no one could have encountered them without losing life, for this onset lasted for twelve whole years. 5.12 But our great Queen and Lady remained immovable and serene, as tranquil as if she heard or saw nothing of all this. She was disturbed or altered in no wise, showed no change in her countenance, no traces of sorrow during the whole of this infernal uproar. Then the demons proceeded to other temptations directed against the internal faculties of the Invincible Mother, pouring out the diabolical malice more than I can describe. For all that devilish multitude exhausted the full measure of their hellish astuteness in concocting their false revelations, lights, and suggestions, their promises 
and threats in attempting to infect each of their virtues by temptations to the contrary vice. I will not stop to enumerate in particular these temptations, as it is neither necessary nor convenient. But Our Lady and Queen overcame them all, since in opposition to the vices she performed acts of the contrary virtues, which reached an excellence fully in proportion to the impulse and force of her then acquired state of grace, gifts, and perfections. 5.13 As one who is experiencing the strength of hellish malice, and who knows the necessity of divine assistance, she prayed on that occasion for all that are afflicted and tempted by the demon. The Lord granted her the power of extending her protection to all those who are tempted and who invoke her intercession. The demons persevered in this battle until no kind of malice was left unattempted against the most pure mother. Then she on her part called upon the divine justice, asking God to rise up and judge his cause. As David says, Psalm 73:22, that his enemies might be dispersed and those who abhorred his presence be put to flight. To fulfill his judgment, the incarnate word descended from heaven to her retirement in the cenacle, appearing to his virgin mother as her sweetest and loving son, and to the enemies as the severe judge on the throne of his supreme majesty. He was accompanied by innumerable angels by the ancient saints Adam and Eve and many patriarchs and prophets and Saint Jochim and Anne. All these presented and manifested themselves to the most blessed Mary in her oratory. 5.14 Prostrating herself as usual in deepest veneration and worship, the great lady adored her son and true God. The demons did not see the Lord, though they were made aware of his royal presence and tried to fly from the imminent punishment. But the divine power detained them, fettering them in the manner in which their spirit nature permitted, and the ends of their fetters or chains the Lord placed into the hands of his most blessed mother. 5.15 Then a voice issued from the throne, saying, Today comes upon you the wrath of the Almighty, and the first sentence fulminated against the ancient serpent from on high, and afterwards in paradise, shall be executed. A woman descended from Adam and Eve shall crush its head. Genesis 3.15 Because in your disobedience and pride you have despised the humanity of the word in the virginal womb. Immediately the Most Holy Mary was raised from the earth by the hands of six seraphim, nearest to the throne of God and enveloped in a refulgent cloud, was placed at the side of the throne of her divine Son. From his own essence and divinity issued an ineffable and supereminent splendor, which enveloped and surrounded her like the globe of the sun. Beneath her feet she appeared also the moon, indicating that she was subject to her, all that was inferior, earthly, and variable, symbolized by the concavity of the moon." Over her head was placed a diadem or crown of twelve stars as an emblem of the divine perfections, communicated to her to the fullest extent possible in a mere creature. She was also shown as pregnant, not only of the concept of God in her mind, but also of the corresponding love she gave forth a voice, as if of the sorrows of the birth of what she conceived, in order that all creatures might participate in it, and they rejected it, although she desired it with tears and groans. Apocalypse 12, 1. 5.16. This sign and all the grandeur in which it had been conceived in the divine mind was shown in heaven to Lucifer, who was present as the great red dragon with seven heads, crowned with seven diadems and ten horns. In this horrid shape he represented himself as the author of the seven capital sins, who attempted to crown these sins with his invented heresies as diadems, and who, armed by his astuteness and strength, as with ten horns, had sought to overthrow the divine law contained in the Ten Commandments. 
In like manner he had encircled with his tail and drawn to hell with him a third part of the stars of heaven. Apocalypse 12.4 Not only in seducing the myriads of angels who followed him in disobedience, but also in casting from heaven of the church many of the believers who seem to have risen above the stars either in dignity or sanctity. 5.17 In such a fearful and horrid shape stood Lucifer, and with him and many other and various of all of them abominable shapes stood his fellow demons, arranged in battle array around Mary, who is about to bring forth in spiritual birth the perpetual existence and enrichment of the Holy Church, and the dragon and furious envy that this woman should be so powerful in establishing and spreading this church, and that she should, by her merits, example, and intercession, enrich it with so many graces, and raise so many myriads of men to their predestined eternal happiness, stood in readiness to devour, if possible, what she was to bring forth and to destroy this new church. In spite of the envy of the dragon, she brought forth a man-child, who is to govern all the nations of the strong rod of iron. This man-child was the most righteous and strong spirit of the church, which in the righteousness of Christ our God holds sway over all the nations in justice, and likewise it signified all the apostolic men who in the same righteousness spirit are to judge. Matthew 19.28 With the iron rod of divine justice. All this it was that Most Holy Mary brought forth not only because she gave birth to Christ, but also because through her merits and diligence she brought forth the church in holiness and rectitude, nourished it during the time she lived in it, and even now and forever preserves it in the manly spirit in which it was born, maintaining the uprightness of the Catholic truth, against which the gates of hell shall not prevail. Matthew sixteen eighteen. Five eighteen. Then, says St. John, this man-child was taken up to the throne of God, and the woman fled to her destined place in the desert, in order that she might there be nourished 1,260 days. This signifies all the legitimate offspring of the Heavenly Mother, as well that which is the fruit of the general spirit of holiness in the church, as also the particular souls which she engendered and engenders as her proper spiritual children, shall arrive at the throne where is her natural offspring, Christ, in whom and for whom she engenders and raises her children. But the solitude to which the Most Blessed Mary was carried was a most exalted and a mysterious state to which she was raised after her battle, and of which I shall say something presently. It is called a solitude, because she alone of all creatures was in that state, and none other could ever reach or attain it. In it she was without the company of creatures, and she was moreover left alone by the dragon, who more than any one else was ignorant of this mystery, and could not any more tempt or persecute her in person. There the Lord nourished her one thousand two hundred and sixty days, which was the time she lived in this state before passing to another. This concludes our reading today for day number 336. We've been reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 7, paragraphs 505 to 518. In our reading today, we return to the book of Revelation, which we address, as Maria Vagarda said, in the first volume, and I believe it's been interspersed all throughout the volumes, talking especially about Revelation 12, the woman caught up in the sky with the sun behind her, the moon on her feet, wailing, giving birth, so forth, and so on. I think one of the things that I took away from today's reading was the addressing of temptation 
So we know from the letter to the Hebrews, and Maria Vagrida quoted it, that God was tried in every way, that Jesus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, underwent everything. He was tried and tested, tempted. We know that even from the Gospels. But in no way did he sin. Well, so now Mary, who is without sin, as the Immaculate Conception, also does not cave to the temptations. In fact, it says that where the temptation, the vice, that temptation was coming, she practiced in greater measure the virtue that corresponded to that vice. And I think that this virtuousness of Our Lady is just something that we can visit and return to again and again. Our Lady and Queen overcame them all, since in opposition to the vices, she performed acts of the contrary vices. I know we struggle with our vices in our life. We can really turn to the Blessed Mother, who, like her son, experienced temptation. And I think that's so fitting, because as will, I believe, Mary undergoes the sleep of death in Maria Vagrida's writing. We'll get to there by the end of the month. But I think it just shows that what Jesus experiences, Mary also wants to experience. But I think for us then, in our struggle and in our battle against whatever vice it is, well, we can look to the Blessed Mother. And I would encourage us to say a little prayer, asking Our Lady to help us. Mary, help me in my temptations. Be there present to me as a mother. Assist me in virtue so that I might conquer vice. Name a prayer. Write it yourself. But it's very good for us, I think, to dialogue with the Blessed Mother to ask for her prayers. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.